Hebrews 10, 5-7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Today we relight the first three candles of Advent wreath, the candles of hope, faith, and joy. Now we light the fourth candle of Advent, the candle of love. Christ was born just as God has promised. Our hope in Christ who comes into our hearts and promises to return. Today we light this candle to remind us that God's plans for us to grow from his perfect love. From birth to death, pain to delight, God is there. His light overcomes darkness. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Our last message here to close out our Advent series, we're going to be taking a closer look at Jesus, whom we celebrate this season. Uh, we began this Advent series by looking at various characters in the story. We looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, and today we, we look at Jesus. Um, over the years, we've taken a look at many characters within the story, whether that be shepherds or angels, um, Herod. We've, we've looked at many themes uh, through the many years. We've looked at the Christmas story from a lot of different angles, and this morning we're, we're going to take a look at from a different angle again, a different perspective. We're going to take a look at this from Jesus's perspective. Now, this passage in Hebrews, you might be looking at it and wondering, like, how is this a Christmas like text? How is this going to work? Um, but you'll notice that this text is Jesus speaking about himself. Now, typically for sermons that pastors preach on Christmas and Easter in particular, uh, we, we tend to cater our messages towards visitors and we towards, we, towards people that, that it's, it's a little bit lighter uh, of a message. Um, and I just need to give you a heads up that this isn't one of those. Like, it's just, just not. Today, uh, today we feast. Today we, we eat. Um, it's, a, it's a steak dinner. It's not a glass of milk. So uh, just letting you know. And many of you appreciate this anyway because you're allergic to light Bible teaching like you are lactose intolerant. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're all good, right? If you've been coming here a while, you're kind of used to this anyway. You're kind of used to this diet, I think. And um, it's the keto diet, so, you know, it's like high fat, higher protein. We're going to dig deeper. We're going to dig deeper this morning, and uh, I just want to also let you know that uh, you're not here by accident. Um, you, there, there are so, so many other churches that you could have visited this morning. Uh, a lot of them would have provided you some milk, but here you're, you're going to have a you're going to have a full meal. It's going to be meaty. And um, I, I've been doing this for a while, so I, I can preach a Christmas sermon off the top of my head. Uh, I've been doing a lot of these. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that because so many of you can probably do the same because you've listened to a lot of Christmas sermons. So I can probably just invite you up here and you can tell the whole Christmas story. Turn over to Luke chapter 2 and just go through it and you can probably tell it just like anybody else. So... It just doesn't take all that much effort, right? You can turn it over to any of those 
accounts of the gospel, read through it and give some insights, and then that's about it. But in order to dig a little bit more, it takes a fair amount of effort, takes a amount of, of work to provide a full meal and instead of just pouring a glass of milk. So here we are to kick off this message. Uh, and before we do, let's pray. God, we come before you knowing that you prepared this in all of eternity, this plan of sending your son Jesus to solve this issue of alienation from you, that you desired to reconcile us to you and to have a deep relationship with you. I ask God for your spirit to open the minds and the hearts of people who are distant from you, that we would all get a deeper realization of how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. So to kick off this message, uh, Jesus is essentially quoting from Psalm chapter 40, uh, verses 6 through 8, and it reads this in Psalm 40, starting in verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So why does Jesus quote this psalm? Well, we need to think about what the story of the Bible is. The Bible is a book that is essentially about Jesus. And in order to understand the Bible, we, we have to keep that in mind as we read the entire Bible, that it's a story about Jesus' love for us, who came to seek us, people who are lost, people who are bound, uh, people who are in the dark and needing to be brought into the light. So we have this plan of Jesus coming to find, save, and to free us from this darkness. And so Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, bringing us into the presence of God. When David wrote Psalm 40, he was writing, projecting forward what was not yet happening. And so when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, it's something that has been fulfilled by Jesus and that no one else could fulfill in Jesus. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, in light of Psalm 40. And so here we are, verses 5 and 6. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices and, and, and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. What's the context of what Jesus said right here? And so we need to take a look at the Bible in its entirety. And when you read the Bible in its entirety, it gives us a, a greater context, a better understanding of the contents within. Old Testament and New, Jesus needs to be thought of in order to understand the Bible. And if he is not, we start to lose sight of this greater story of the Bible. And when we don't study the Bible in its entirety with Jesus in view, we'll start to find different interpretations out there just within sentences or words or phrases in themselves and not kind of comparing them in the whole context of the entire Bible. Hebrews is known as the most <clears throat> Old Testament books within the New Testament. You take a look at how Hebrews opens in chapter 1, verse 1. It reads, long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God revealed himself through the prophets. And then continuing on in verse 2, 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God made himself known. God purified us of our sins. He saved us through Jesus. He revealed himself to us through Jesus, and he saved us through Jesus. And so now this takes us back to our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 5, where Jesus said this, A body have you prepared for me. And that's essentially Christmas, right? We think of this baby. And he appears, an angel appears to shepherds and announces that this baby is being born in Bethlehem. And Jesus comes to us from his throne in heaven. He comes to these really humble beginnings in a situation where his family is completely dishonored because his mother is betrothed to his father Joseph, and yet she's pregnant with this child. And so she has this scarlet letter marked on her for the rest of her life as someone who is unfaithful. Joseph is also marked for life because he's known as someone who's really foolish. How can you do such a thing? And so there they are going to be marching through life. They are living under Roman oppression where they don't have freedom. They are born in a poor family. They're not growing, he's not growing up in Jerusalem with the best schools and the best training, rabbinical training, or learning the law and the prophets at all. He's kind of in this hodunk town in the back there. And this news first hits shepherds who are considered unclean, and they're considered unreliable, because their testimonies within court aren't even accepted. And when I say unclean, I don't mean dirty, but I mean as in they can't attend any ceremonial things within the temple or synagogue. They're outcasts. And yet, who does God first give this news to? And who does he deliver this child through? And who is it under which kind of regime is this all happening? That in that manger is born the redeemer of the world in the worst of circumstances. Because who would ever believe a shepherd's account? Who would ever believe a teenage mom? Who would ever believe someone who's poor and uneducated and from a no-name town? And yet this is where Jesus is born. 2,000 years later, the news of Jesus is still rejected by many. It's still a supernatural, crazy story. How... Who's ever heard of a, your God is born of a virgin? Are you serious, guys? And you bring it today, and what, what do people think? And that church isn't all that attractive to them, that you, they come in and they hear these stories, and they think, man, your Bible is just, like, really archaic, or it's just too simplistic, and all you have to do is just believe? I mean, what about science and all this stuff? And what about all the divisiveness in the church and all the hypocrisy? And this thing that you guys call sin, I mean, give me a break. People shouldn't be able to live, that they, live the way that they want to live. I don't like that because I like what I like, and so who are you to tell me how to live? Yet this is what Jesus came to do, to make purification for sin. 
that he mended what separated us from God and that God prepared a body for Jesus for such a time as this. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a shadow, but, but a body have you prepared for me. And those, those sacrifices and offerings, those were mere shadows of this ultimate sacrifice, of this ultimate offering that was to come. That those sacrifices required the death of life, the life of animals, and none of which actually consented to the sacrifice. None of them, you know, so sheep, which one of you want to come over here and die for people's sins? And it's like, bah. They just grabbed the ones that fit their requirement, right? Where there's no blemish, hey, take, grab that one and let's, let's sacrifice them. And that ultimate sacrifice offered by Jesus also costed life. He consents to it. He consents to atone for sins, which explains the necessity of God's incarnation. That Jesus' atonement for our sins is why a body was prepared for him. And that sacrifice points to Jesus' death on the cross. You take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is why we don't sacrifice anymore. Not only does it never take away sins, but since Jesus' single sacrifice for all time, for all sin, no sacrifice is necessary anymore. So how was anyone saved before Jesus came, if that's the case? Well, it's the same way that you and I are saved today, that we believe that we trust in the promises of God, that God promised that he would save those who believed on him on, on the basis of a body having been prepared for the sacrifice. Before Jesus incarnate over 2,000 years ago, people looked forward to something that they would never see, and Jesus dying on the cross, they would never see this. For our sins, they would never see this. We didn't see it either. It's something that we have to look back 2,000 years and have faith and believe that Jesus died on that cross for us. It's still faith. Whether you were before the cross or after the cross, it's still faith. And the sacrifices performed in the Old Testament were, were these ceremonial cleansings of sins, but it had to keep happening because it didn't help them to be completely cleansed of their sin. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, through Jesus Christ, it is now possible for us to have this relationship with God where we are welcomed into his kingdom as a child, as an heir of God. That's why a body through a baby, initially, was prepared for Jesus. It was to remedy this alienation that we had from God, that, that God no longer wanted this alienation. Now, if you are still alienated from him this morning, you, you don't have to be. Christ did that for you. 
And without Christ, there, there is no resolution for this alienation from God because you and I can't possibly do enough to remedy that. Because God is repelled by sin and sinful people are repelled by God. So there's, there's no attraction there. That's why God prepared a body for Jesus to reconcile this alienation between God and people and so that people can reconcile with one another no matter how much they are enemies. In Jesus, in the body prepared for Jesus, God shows us compassion. He shows us forgiveness, love, reconciliation, mercy, acceptance. In Jesus, God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so there in Bethlehem, in that manger, many were brought to God. Jesus continues to call people to himself. But there's something that always gets in the way. And I'm trying to whittle it down as to what that something is. What's that one word that we can possibly say it is? And the closest thing I can get to is this word called pride. I couldn't think of something that's under that. Pride. Whether it's people think that they're too smart or that they're too good or that they're too whatever to answer to the call of Jesus. See, we won't be able to approach God with that in us. It's only in humility that you and I could ever approach God. There's no way to solve this alienation from God in pride. There's there's no way. Then in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 10, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This little phrase here, I have come to do your will. That was Jesus' purpose. That was why he came, to do the will of God. When that baby was born, the will of God would be worked out in their life. You know, when, when Isaac and Arlo were born, typically parents and grandparents and siblings and everyone around them, they have plans for that baby, right? Who, who that baby will be, where they'll go to school, what sports they're going to cheer for, what the, like all these things, right? And if parents have like different alma maters and they're like, no, they're going to cheer for this. No, they're going to, then they get into things and then they seek me for counseling and, you know, I, I tell them just buy a hat, half this, half that. And that's, uh, Here's the funny thing with Jesus. When he was born, he already had a purpose. And no one was going to tell him what he was going to do. No one was going to tell him, you're going to grow up to be this. Or you're going to go to this school. He came to do the will of God. And that's a reminder for all of us parents as well. For our children. We're just kind of guardians. We're here to encourage them to do the will of God. Right? He got his body. He was going to do the will of God. And so we get this glimpse early in Jesus' life. You know, when he's 12 years old, his family goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Towards the end of it, all families go home. So it gets kind of hectic and crazy. And they just kind of like caravan back home. And so Mary and Joseph don't realize that Jesus isn't with them until they get back home. And so they circle back around. They go back to Jerusalem. They go into the temple. And then they find Jesus there. And I find this really funny because this conversation that Mary and Joseph must have had as they were walking back to Jerusalem. 
how did we lose God? Like, how, how did that happen? And so I can't believe it. And so three days later, they find themselves there, and, and Jesus is sitting there, and he's talking amongst the teachers. This 12-year-old boy just listening and asking questions, and these guys are amazed that this 12-year-old boy is able to do this, that when Jesus spoke, they were amazed at his understanding, at, at his answers. And so we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I have a 12-year-old. If she made me do this after three days and I found her, and then she answered, <laughs> I repent. <laughs> the plan of the Father to send Jesus to us in this physical form was, was God's will from eternity, before creation. It's the only way that we even still exist. And then from his creation, God entered into this relationship with people. He laid out how things will work in his creation. And then we fouled it up. Ever since. We've continued to create a divide. We've continued to be alienated. And so God deals with this alienation, with this plan from eternity, before creation even, that Jesus will satisfy all the demands of the law, everything that was laid out before, and he will take upon himself everything that causes that alienation for all of everlasting, that Jesus will take all of that upon himself. I'll take everything that alienates them from you, Father. I'll take it all. All the penalty, everything about it, I will take it in the eyes of your holiness. And, of course, no one deserves it. No one deserves that grace, but he offers it to every one of us. That Jesus Christ died for the powerless, the weak, the sinner, the ungodly, his enemies. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why is that? Because before creation, it was only the triune God. That was the only one he had. But whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wherever we see Jesus throughout the whole Bible, he's always doing the will of God. That's his purpose. So no matter how terrible things will be, Christ will be going through that. An example of this is in Luke 22, verse 42, where he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here we are, and we all have a purpose to fulfill. What is it? Are we living out our purpose? We are given bodies. What's our purpose? And so some of you may be thinking, yeah, I don't know what my purpose in life is. I'm going to tell you what your purpose in life is. You can't tell me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just going to point you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
and this is the will of God for your life and mine. For this is the will of God. Really plain. <laughs> you, if you want to argue, argue with Pastor Nate. It's plain. <laughs> your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Some of you might not like it already, but this is the will of God. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. What is the will of God? Here's one, here's another one. Jump two chapters, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not writing this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the will of God for us. One more. One more. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. This is God's will for us. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor Everyone, not just Christians, everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. This one's tough for a lot of us. Honor the emperor. That's the will of God. Lastly, let's take a look at that final phrase Jesus said in chapter 10 verse 7 of Hebrews it says as it is written of me in the scroll of the book here we need we need to turn to Luke chapter 4 Luke 4 Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days and then we'll pick up the story in verse 13 and when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit of Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So this is the position of the teacher. Um, the, the teacher would typically be in this position that Jesus is, is holding right here. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today... 
this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is just declaring the fulfillment of Isaiah in himself. He is not offering an answer of deliverance. He is telling them he is the answer of their deliverance. That he is the Savior. And so we see that the, the scriptures point to this coming Christ back here in Isaiah. And that all these prophets, including Isaiah, prepared the way for Christ's arrival, including the last of those prophets, John the Baptist. Take a look at John. In John chapter 1, it's, this, it's a different John who wrote the book than is being talked about here. But this is John the Baptist that is um, the, the last of the prophets. And this is when Jesus is assembling all of his disciples. Pick up the story here in John chapter 1, verse 45. It reads, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then you jump two chapters, chapter 3. And this is when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, is trying to figure out what is this born-again talk? What is this all this stuff you're talking about? And this is what is written in John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know, understand these things? Meaning, you're a teacher of Israel? Just look in the scriptures. You know how to study it. It'll, you'll understand it. Just read it. And you head over to chapter 5, John 5. This is where the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus, and he tells them this. John chapter 5, starting in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Skip over. John chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, to know Jesus Christ more fully, we have to know the scriptures more deeply. Luke 24, this is after Jesus died and these guys were walking to Emmaus. They're talking about what happened to Jesus and Jesus himself shows up. He shows up like a ninja there. and They don't recognize him. And so Jesus just kind of starts talking to him, trying to, like playing dumb, like, hey, what's wrong? Why are you guys so sad? And they're telling him, like, oh, didn't you hear? Come on, man. Everyone knows this story. What are you talking about? And so Jesus is, is playing along with them for a little bit. And then he says, like, dummies. But they were telling Jesus that they didn't know it was Jesus um, about the one to redeem them and how they put their hope in him and, and how, they, how they went to this tomb and they were, it was found empty on the third day that these women came and told them and they really didn't believe them and because the women's testimony wasn't held in the law uh, to uphold in court either. But they go and it's empty. And then picking up the story here, chapter 24, verse 25, Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In Luke 24, verse 26, it reads, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? Speaking to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 and 7. A body have you prepared for me. It was absolutely necessary. And I have come to do your will. That body was absolutely necessary to do the will of the Father. Absolutely necessary to show that the law of Moses and the prophets of old and all that came through comes true. That thousands of years of prophecy have come true in that moment. And so we can look back at it and see the Bible doesn't lie. It all came true. Luke 24, 27 began with Moses and all the prophets interpreting to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, speaking of that it is written of me in the scroll. So what was written in Moses, the prophets, and the psalmists, all about Jesus. Luke 24, 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What is this all pointing to? This is pointing to Hebrew scriptures. This is all what it is. Law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. That's the Hebrew scriptures. All of Hebrew scripture, all of our Old Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus. As we celebrate Christmas this week, may we remember the body eternally prepared for us. You know, typically we remember the baby at Christmas time, and then we remember the body hanging on the cross at Easter. But it's all the same story. It's all the same story. To rescue us from this alienation from God, that Jesus Christ, who came to do the will of God, who died on the cross to take everything that separates us from God from himself, all of it is written in the scriptures for us to show us the story is consistent for thousands of years. Thousands before the incarnate Jesus even stepped foot physically on this earth, that Moses, the prophets, and the psalmists wrote about him 2,000 years later, in addition to that, just to prove to us, look back in history. Where is it wrong? And people claim science and all these things. Archaeology, history, social science, where is it wrong? We celebrate a God who always had us in mind, even before creation. For all eternity, he has always had us in mind. That he already loved us before we were even a thought. Those of us who are parents, isn't this true? Before we even had children, before we even knew of anything, you loved them. As they were in the womb and they weren't even out of the womb yet. You loved them so deeply. How much more so with God? Who knows everything about us? You have been the apple of his eyes for eternity. Before you were ever, ever created, he adored you. 
even those of you who are far from him this morning. He loves you so much. Just like us parents, we, we don't know how you were going to turn out, right? We, we don't know if you were going to hate us when you grew up. We don't know anything like that, but we loved you. And here's a God who actually knows that you hate him, and he still loves you. That's crazy. If I knew one of my daughters was going to hate me when we grew up, I, I think I repent again. But his, his plan includes you. Jesus was sent for you. Your reconciliation to God, that alienation, is part of his will to bring you back. The scriptures have been written for thousands of years. All of it had you in mind. That body that Jesus was given had you in mind. The will of God, the purpose that he was going to fulfill, had you in mind. Let me pray for you this morning, and I pray that you receive Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, I lift up those who are distant from you, and perhaps they grew up in the church, or maybe they had a relationship with you at one time, but now it is suffering. And just as we, as earthly parents, our hearts would be so broken if our children were separated from us for any reason, that there was this alienation, that there was this divide, our hearts would be so broken. I can't imagine how yours is for those who are distant from you. And so, God, I, I, I ask that their hearts would be softened, that their posture would be changed to look in the direction towards you to see that they can always come home. I pray that they would. They would just take it one step by one step. And, and for those, Lord, that perhaps they've never even heard the gospel before, they, they don't know what this is. This is all really foreign to them, and some of it may even sound crazy. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them, that you would give them knowledge that is beyond their years, that they would just take this step and that all the stuff would flood into them and they would understand it. In Jesus' name, amen.